is happening now. We're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Lisa Poleski and Dave Woodard are in the newsroom. Will Weber is on the board. Will Erskine is on the cloud. A federal border at the Ambassador Bridge is open, but Ottawa remains closed. Now what, Mr. Prime Minister? It's Scott Thompson! You know, I was... I was trying to get off on a, you know, on the right foot here and the Cupid thing and love and happiness and hearts and farts and starts and such. And, and look what's happened. He's gone ahead and taken it in that direction. Uh, good afternoon. It is 309. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. It is Hamilton today. Will Weber is on the board and Lisa Pileski, Dave Woodard in the newsroom watching the world spin on this Valentine's Day. Yes, Valentine's Day. And, uh, if, hang on a sec, my wife. Are you at the door? I think she might be at the door listening. Um, but I went in, uh, there was a few. Okay, she's gone. All right. Uh, she was just walking by the door using the washroom, so I know she can hear me. Uh, it's the only time she really listens to the show is when she's going down the hall to the washroom. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, there was a few of us that were smart enough yesterday uh, to realize it was Valentine's today, and there was a Super Bowl right in front of that, and, and things could get difficult. So uh, there was a few of us that went out before the Super Bowl yesterday during the, I think it was eight and nine, ten hours of pregame and, uh, and kind of got some stuff. So, um, you know, prepared and, you know, things can get sometimes dicey on a Super Bowl weekend. So there's nothing like, there's nothing like a good Valentine's Day to blend it all, uh, <laughs> even it all out, we'll say. Uh, so happy Valentine's Day to you all. Maybe this Valentine's Day we can, uh, you know, give each other a hug, get a little bit closer and, uh, and perhaps a little less divisive. Uh, but you know, we, we are where we are. And, uh, earlier on today, oh, uh, by the way, did I say it's Hamilton today? It's 900 CHML, 980 CFPL in London joining us. Great to have you guys along. And, um, uh, what's coming up is a news conference from the Prime Minister about 4.30. We'll carry a portion of that live, uh, before it gets, uh, before it puts you to sleep, really. And, um, and also earlier on today, uh, Premier Doug Ford came out and uh, had a news conference in regard to uh, not only supporting um, what could be announced, we don't know yet, but the Prime Minister is talking about uh, invoking the Emergencies Act, which he has already talked to the Premiers about to get their opinion, I guess. So uh, he talked about that and opening up of restrictions. Uh, and uh, specifically, uh, and we, you know, we knew about this before, the actual protest started. I mean, these were announced after Christmas and went into effect at the end of January, the three stages, and uh, we're bumping one up another week, which is is great, uh, but also the uh, elimination of vaccine uh, passports, which all of the doctors have said become redundant. Dr. Chuckabarty was on the news uh, just moments ago saying they probably should have been done away with in February. Anyway, here's what uh, the Premier had to say in supporting whatever the Prime Minister does to get rid of the protests. I'll support the federal government and any proposals they have to bring law and order back to our province, to make sure we stabilize uh, our, our businesses and trade around the world as the world is watching us right now. To those who are still there, to those of you who are there with the sole objective of causing disruption and chaos, 
there'll be serious consequences for this lawless activity. We will continue to raise the consequences against those who are holding millions of jobs and people hostage. All right, so the good news is uh, late last night, early this morning, uh, cleared off the Ambassador Bridge. It's been open all day today, so that has been freed up. Still, obviously, uh, issues in Ottawa, and we'll cover the news conference live from the Prime Minister coming up at 4.30 this afternoon to see if, in fact, he does invoke the Emergency Act, which is what he's talking about and had met with the Premiers. Now, the other issue, uh, easing of restrictions. Here's what the Premier had to say. Effective March the 1st, we intend to eliminate capacity limits in all indoor public settings. At the same time, and at the recommendation of Dr. Moore, we will lift proof of vaccination requirements for all settings. And let me be very clear, we're moving in this direction because it's safe to do so. Today's announcement is not because of what's happening in Ottawa or Windsor, but despite it. Like all of you, I've waited a long time for this news, but please never doubt that the steps we took together, as difficult as they were, were absolutely necessary and saved tens of thousands of lives from COVID-19. All right, there is uh, the Premier speaking earlier today, uh, this morning, in regard to uh, not only the easing of restrictions in Ontario, uh, basically bumping them up a week, but also talking about the elimination of uh, the vaccine passport system, which, again, we, we knew was coming. And it's interesting, uh, Dr. Uni at the health table uh, last week and, and, and other doctors, Dr. Ch- uh, Dr. Chuckabardi, who I mentioned earlier, uh, had said that, um, you know, these have pretty much run their course and you know what they were needed for during the early points of uh, this vaccination uh, effort certainly uh, are not needed now so um, again like the rest of the world and, and like other provinces we're seeing from east to west things uh, are starting to open up which again um, y- you know I'm sure there's a lot of politics at play in regard to the opening uh, of the borders but it, it almost seems uh, senseless that uh, what this initial protest was all about was the mandates for truckers to be vaccinated to go across the borders. Uh, You know, as time goes on and with every passing day, uh, those mandates are less and less needed. So uh, although I don't think the federal government wants to pull that card out and say, hey, medically, it's time to... uh, you know, to end the mandates anyway, because then obviously the protesters will claim support, I guess, uh, or or a win out of this. So it's going to be fascinating to see how this unfolds and, and how it all plays out. Uh, but again, as time goes by and as we see what's happening around the world, it just seems that, uh, you know, a lot of these uh uh, protocol regulations will eventually uh, fall by the wayside. Also want to make note, masking, distancing, that sort of thing, uh, it has not changed. Uh, the opinion has not changed on that from uh, the Ontario government. It also said that if you wish as a business to keep the vaccine passport in place, uh, you're totally entitled to do that as well. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Let's get off right about here and have uh, some uh, fabulous... Uh, meaningless conversation about a real debate. Well, man, it's several debates, vinyl, CD, streaming, what have you. A great article by Alan Cross, host of the ongoing history of new music uh, on our website in regard to the rebirth of 
the CD? Yeah, absolutely. Alan Cross is with us now. Alan, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Uh, yeah, you know, staying positive, testing negative, you know. There you go. All right. So, you know, as I read this, I got a bit of a chuckle, Alan, because I completely, completely relate to uh, sort of the journey we've all, be on, all been on as music fans and such. But as I looked at this and I read it, I'm thinking, was this only a matter of time before something like this happened because we're stuck in nostalgia? We always like to know what was going on 20, 30 years ago. Uh, because really, out of all the forms music comes on, this was probably the least, uh, I guess, lasted for the least uh, period of time. What, what is fueling this, do you think? I uh, don't know. My whole premise here is that uh, it occurred to me that I couldn't remember when I stopped loving CDs. I mean, for many, many years, I would spend a tremendous amount of uh, after-tax income on going to record stores and loading up with CDs. I'm old enough to remember when I went to uh, HMV and they had their frequent buyer's card. You bought 10 CDs, you got yeah. one for free. Yeah. And uh, you know, I amassed not just hundreds, but thousands of CDs. I have a room called the uh, CD vault. And it really is. It's a room dedicated to nothing but storage of compact discs. And uh, I was looking at it or I walked past it the other day and I looked inside and I thought, at what point did I stop making my music listening all about CDs? And I couldn't remember. It, it must have been sometime in the early 2000s when I got my first iPod and I started ripping CDs to the iPod. Mm -hmm. uh, and then my iPhone came along and I kept doing that. Uh, I grew bored of ripping um, or making CD compilations on a CDR on a burn CD. And then streaming came along and then I kind of left physical media behind for a while before vinyl came along and I got wrapped up in that. Uh, so while I've been all about vinyl the last couple of years, collecting that and, you know, taking care of the vinyl that I, that I still had, I had been completely ignoring my compact disc collection. And I thought, why? Because the CD sounds great. It just works. I've got a couple of players, you know, all over the place. Uh, they, they, they work great when it comes to, you know, you just put it in the drawer, put it in the slot and music comes out. Uh, <laughs> why did I stop enjoying music in that format? And I, I, that's why I wrote the article. I was trying to figure out why it was. Because and something new article, came along, Alan. Well, I, I guess since the article came out, I, I started thinking, well, it was probably because convenience champions acts, uh, convenience champions possession. If mm. I could get, you know, 75 or 85 or 80 million songs at my fingertips through a streaming music service, I didn't need the CD anymore. I didn't need, and this is important, yeah. I didn't need the album anymore. I was listening to collections of great songs as part of playlists. So CDs could not do that unless I had a, a compilation or greatest hits or a burden CD or something like that. And, and it, I just drifted away from the one artist per disc model. It was okay for vinyl because that had a different sort of cachet to it. But CDs, well, by we the time I started drifting away, had become very common. And, and I thought, and, and, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, and and I, and I thought, uh, you know what? It's it's old. I'm, I'm moving on. I, that's the only explanation I can come up with.
But we've talked many times about the attraction of vinyl, the attraction of albums, whatever. You know, some people would say that, you know, it's the warmth of the sound, whatever. I, I don't buy into any of that. That's just turntable rumble and distortion. Um, but what we used to, what we talked about before was just having the album in front of you, having the jacket in front of you, having something other than just the music coming out of the box. And maybe CD is the last form of that where you actually, as you mentioned, you know, the, uh, you know, some of the, the jackets were were, were crappy, but uh, others weren't too bad. And maybe that's sort of the last fashion that gives you the album cover, but also gives you a better quality than an actual album. Well, it, it could. Um, it's the physical it, it, thing. It, it has all the same attributes as a 12 inch LP, except that it's smaller and mm. that um, it's. Uh, it's not cool. <laughs> you know, that's, I, I think mean, that's a valid was, point. So is this, will this come back? Will this become cool? Just like we've talked many times about vinyl now becoming cool. Do you think that we're going to end up with the same thing or is the difference? Uh, CD has such a short production run as a composed, as opposed to what the album, I mean, we can just people that still have 78. So um, do, you, do you think you're going to see that sort of resurgence or too short of a time? Well, it's hard to say, but here are a couple of things working to the advantage of the seed. First of all, there's still a shortage of vinyl. Uh, polyvinyl chloride is in very short supply because of uh, a variety of things. So the price of records has gone through the roof. Um, I don't know if I ever told you, but I saw a Tragically Hip album for $71. And buying, wow. no, I'm not buying a Tragically Hip record for $71 as much as I like the band. Uh, when you can get the CD for for twelve or fifteen, uh, and it has basically the same packaging except smaller. It certainly has got the same music. In fact, it might even have bonus tracks on. So that's yeah. one thing. The other thing is that it's very hard to get um, CDs out into the marketplace right now because of various supply chain issues. Uh, if you're a record label, you have to put in your order uh, nine to twelve months in advance if you want to get your vinyl um, in stores on time. So right now, people are putting in vinyl orders for. Christmas. Uh, the CD has no such problem. There are lots of CD pressing plants um, that, that if, if you want to put a, a physical product out there, maybe what we do is, is default to the, uh, to, to the CD for the time being until vinyl can get back on its feet in terms of production. Those are the two things I can think of. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to see if uh, anything materializes this. Don't throw out your old CDs yet. Uh, Alan Cross with us, host of the Ongoing History of New Music. Uh, great column on the website. Uh, the CD, will it uh, will it become the new vinyl, I guess? Alan, thanks for the time. Be well. You bet. You too. Well, happy Valentine's Day, by the way. I wonder if uh, if all the protesters are celebrating Valentine's Day today. Do you think there's a lot of love down in the... Um, uh, here's hoping. Uh, and coming up in uh, just over one hour from now, we will go live to uh, the Prime Minister's news conference uh, scheduled to start at this point at 4.30. You never know, though, they always, uh, you know, issues happen. They always uh, start a bit later. So, uh, well, not always, sometimes, but we'll keep our eye peeled for that coming up anytime after 4.30. Uh, and uh, I guess earlier today, the Prime Minister had a chat with the premiers across the country talking about invoking the Emergencies Act. 
So don't know if that's going to happen. I'm sure we'll find out more after uh, coming up after 4.30 when we go to that live. All right, uh, an incredible uh, Valentine's Day gift for uh, everybody uh, in Hamilton. Uh, the Jurovinsky Research Institute, a partnership between Hamilton Health Sciences, MAC, and the St. Joseph's Healthcare, announced that uh, the Jurovinsky couple, Charles and Margaret, have uh, donated again uh, a multi-million dollar donation in support of health research in the city. Uh, let's bring in Paula Byrne, Dean and Vice President of the Faculty of Health Sciences at McMaster and with us now. Paul, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Yes, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm very well indeed. So quite a Valentine's Day uh, over there. Well, it's an amazing gift for all of us. Uh, all of us who are involved in uh, biomedical research, uh, which is something that both Charles and Margaret feel very passionate about. And uh, this is, as I'm sure you're aware, a number of years that they have committed these mm. kinds of resources to uh, the Faculty of Health Sciences at McMaster University, as well as our two hospital partners, Hamilton Health Sciences and um, St. Joseph's Healthcare. So it's been an amazing gift today. Did this catch you by surprise? Because we know just a few years ago, a couple of years ago, uh, the couple donated, uh, I believe it was $100 million with uh, as part of a legacy. Uh, and many thought that that might be it. But uh, did this catch you off? Uh, did you see this coming? Did it catch you by surprise? Well, we, we did know that uh, both Charles and Margaret were very interested in supporting biomedical research in Hamilton. Uh, before their legacy gift was appropriate. As you know, the legacy gift is part of their estate. Mm -hmm. and uh, 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 But Charles particularly was very, very emphatic that he wanted to see some results of his investment in, in health research in Hamilton uh, before that. So uh, we were delighted with that, uh, that, that, uh, um, that, that way of looking at it. And as this is the third year in a row that that Charles and Margaret have given a gift of this size uh, to support health research. So what does this mean uh, to the average person in Hamilton? Uh, what will this money be used for? How does it help? Well, the money is um, very important to directly support the kinds of research that we're doing in Hamilton. As I'm sure you know, Hamilton is uh, one of the most research-intensive uh, parts of Canada, particularly in biomedical research. And the first <clears throat> investment that Charles and Margaret made was to help us understand the causes and impact of COVID. And so for the first year, that research money has been invested mostly in studies underway to understand why COVID has happened and how we can minimize the effect of COVID on all of our uh, populations, particularly the more vulnerable populations. The current uh, investment is a, a, an extension of that in a way because we wanted to look not only at the long-term effects of COVID, <clears throat> particularly, for example, on uh, child and youth mental health issues, because that's going to be a big, big issue for the future, mm. uh, but also on the, the ways that we're managing these very uh, severe pandemics that we're dealing with, how the hospitals are managing it, how we work within the outpatient setting. And so this is the kind of direct investment in research that will without doubt make a huge difference in the way that we manage these kinds of 
pandemics that will happen, unfortunately, in the future. Hopefully not very soon, but sometime in the future. What falls under the biomedical research umbrella, Paul? What, give us more uh, of an example of what that would entail. So biomedical research would involve all sorts of research that help us understand the causes, uh, the treatment, and the prevention of disease. So understanding uh, those factors that lead to people developing diseases, what puts people at risk, the prevalence of diseases, the, the factors that make diseases worse or improve them, and then how best to treat diseases. So th- they would be the main buckets that we would be focusing on in biomedical research. More important, obviously, now we're uh, two years into a global pandemic? Well, absolutely. I mean, this pandemic has uh, had extraordinary impacts, of course, as you know well. Um, the impacts have on every, every single person's life, directly and indirectly. But one of, the, one of the consequences of this has been that we've recognized, first of all, we weren't prepared. We were not mm. properly prepared to deal with this pandemic when it occurred. We cannot allow that to happen again. And so that's what part of this investment is trying to ensure. And secondly, we have been unbelievably responsive in developing, for example, effective vaccines. Uh, uh, you know, that we now have uh, uh, several of these that work extremely well. And uh, the, the rate at which they were developed was unprecedented. Mm-hmm. And all that occurred because of biomedical research, our understanding uh, of the way these vaccines could be developed. And in fact, for some of these vaccines, the basic work that resulted in the vaccine being developed was done right here at McMaster University in Hamilton. I was about to ask you what we've learned, but you've just summed that up. Also, um, how does this help uh, medical officials around the world in working together? Because in order for vaccines and, and, and products to get uh, to where they are in such a short period of time, a lot of silos were broken down. What have we learned from that? And can we use in the treatments of other diseases or, or a cancer or something like that? Has this really set um, uh, a new precedence for how we, how we research, how we solve these problems? That is really an important uh, question because you are absolutely correct that the, the reasons we have been able to move so quickly in developing, for example, new vaccines is because of the collaborative work between the basic scientists who work with viruses, understanding the genome or the the genetic makeup of the virus, what parts of the virus to target, then scientists who develop the vaccines that are are directed against that. But then, of course, the people in clinical trials uh, who are uh, running the clinical trials to prove their effectiveness. On top of that, of course, we have all of the treatments that have been studied in people who have developed uh, COVID, uh, who have developed severe disease, and the studies needed um, to understand whether treatments work or not in preventing and managing severe disease. Now, one of the really important uh, requirements that Charles and Margaret have made for this investment is that we at the university, who tend to do most of the more basic science research, work closely with our two hospital partners, Hamilton Health Sciences and St. Joseph's Healthcare, to work together. So every single project that Mm. will be funded from this investment from Charles and Margaret uh, will be done with the three of us working closely together in partnership. 
Paula Byrne with us, Dean and Vice President of the Faculty of Health Sciences, McMaster, and another uh, big donation from Charles and Margaret Jervinsky uh, for the Jervinsky Research Institute. Paul, thanks for the time. Be well. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. Ivan Reitman has passed away at the age of 75. To talk more about his life and career, Bill Brio is with us, TV critic and author, and with us now. Bill, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Doing fine, Scott. You know, I, I look at uh, at his resume, Ivan Reitman's resume, and, and Animal House is on that, and I remember being a kid and uh, a, a teenager at that point when that movie came out, and uh, it gave birth to the toga party, and I remember having or going to various toga parties as a result of this movie. It's very sad right now, but it was a mantra for us to live by then. It sure was, and it's funny, you know, when my son was, you know, becoming a teenager and stuff. I said, oh, here are some movies you got to see. you got to see Animal House. It's hilarious. And I put it on. It's filthy. It's yeah. a raunchy <laughs> film. Like, it's totally inappropriate. I've forgotten how crude it was. My God. How politically, how politically incorrect it is. It, you just can't, you know. But uh, certainly we all laughed and laughed in the day. And that was early. That was 1978 for, um, you know, Reisman, um, uh, Ivan Reitman. Uh, you know, he, he didn't direct that film. Uh, he did, though, the next year, directed Meatballs, and that's where mm-hmm. his directing career really took off. So uh, how would you explain the type of movie and he did and what he evolved into? It's just this amazing convergence of talent, Scott. We've talked about this before. All these people who came out of Hamilton, you know, I mean, yeah. Reitman was studying. He was making short films at McMaster. That's where he met Eugene Levy and Martin Short and Dave Thomas. And then, you know, he that is that sphere just kept widening. He met Dan Aykroyd. He knew Bill Murray because they both worked on um, the uh, Lampoon, the Harvard Lampoon uh, stuff. And 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 so through that association, he later would call Murray to be the star of Meatballs. And, uh, you know, from there, because of Ackroyd, he got to meet Belushi, and Belushi was an animal house, and it just kept going from there. And they really seem to be aimed at a generation. Do we have that as much now? Maybe not with comedy. Um, you know, Probably more with drama and stuff you see on Netflix, but, you know, I remember at the time, these were, these were things you had to see when they came out. Well, I remember, you know, in the 70s, the choice every weekend was, it will it be a Mel Brooks film, a Monty Python film, a Peter Sellers Pink Panthers film, or a Woody Allen film? Uh, every weekend, it seemed, there was some amazing comedy, and that's what we don't have anymore uh, at, on big screen, at least. And you talked about the Hamilton connection. Uh, it's amazing how this group still, you know, keeps in touch, stays together. I mean, like here, like I know them, you know, <laughs> I, from what I've heard anyway, they seem to be still a very, very tight knit group. Well, you watch the Super Bowl and there's, you know, uh, Eugene Levy. Yeah. He's the hero. He's a superhero and long hair driving this Toyota. Um, and he's on the highway and he looks over and there's Catherine O'Hara. And, you know, as a Canadian, it's just fantastic to see that. Like, it's just, he's still the guy. 
And, well, uh, you know, who would who would have thought, you know, people who are watching, you know, back to the SCF, uh, SCTV days, the Schmengi brothers or whatever, <laughs> that somebody, you know, whether, any one of them would be featured in a Super Bowl commercial and have this rebirth in their career at this stage. It's incredible when you think about it. it, it at 2022. Yeah, it is incredible. So it's wonderful to see. But Reitman was there and you talk about generational who's doing it now. You know, his, his daughter makes a TV series for a CD series. Uh, see, uh, Catherine does work in Moms. His son, Jason, has been directing films for years. They just did a remake of Ghostbusters that Ivan was a producer on. Yeah. And he, if you look at his IMDb, he's got a bunch of projects coming up. They're doing uh, Triplets, uh, which is a remake of Twins with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which uh, Ivan Reitman <laughs> directed. And, and this and it's been shot. And this time it's him and Danny DeVito again. But Eddie Murphy is the third. Oh. <laughs> oh so that, you know that we're going to still say. You know, if the guy was still doing it. He was doing a this remakes. There's TV series spinoffs of both Ghostbusters and um, another one of his films uh, coming mm. up. But we don't. We just think of Dave is such a great film. The political one with Kevin yeah. Klein. Uh, but his, his resume, he did, you know, the the uh, Michael Jordan Bugs Bunny cartoon yep, Space Jam yep. that was produced by Reitman. He did a he produced a Trailer Park Boys movie. You know, like he just got movies made, and uh, that's uh, something a lot of people can't do. Bill Brio, TV critic and author. You can find out more at Brio TV and talking about the life of Ivan Reitman passing away at the age of 75. Bill, as always, thank you for the time. Be well. You too, Scott. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. It is 420. It's 900 CHML in Hamilton, 980 CFPL in London. It's Hamilton Today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Weber on the board. In the newsroom uh, is Dave Woodard and Lisa Paleski keeping us abreast of what is going on. And, man, there is tons going on today, including uh, in uh, a few short minutes coming up uh, around 430-ish, the Prime Minister is expected to hold a news conference. We will go to that live and discussion about uh, whether he will invoke the Emergency Act or not, uh, met with the premiers virtually earlier on today to have that discussion, and I'm sure we'll find out the results coming up uh, in about 10 or 15 minutes or so. All right, uh, feel free to jump into the conversation. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. The phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221. Start 9900 on your cell. You can ride shotgun with us or throw a few things down uh, with Will, and uh, he'll record you, play you back, uh, and your thoughts on the 
the Emergency Act, if in fact uh, that is where we're going. Uh, obviously, uh, supply chain issues, borders uh, being blocked, and this weekend, uh, early uh, this morning, I guess, overnight, uh, we saw the Ambassador Bridge between Windsor and Detroit open up, uh, which is uh, great news and good to report that uh, that uh, traffic is going to and fro uh, across those borders once again. We'll talk to uh, the mayor of Windsor coming up uh, tomorrow on the show. But uh, good news, that is open. However, uh, Ottawa is a completely different story. To talk about what things like border closer, uh, closures mean for uh, the Canadian economy and by Canadian or by American, let's bring in Marvin Ryder, professor to Group School of Business, McMaster University. He's with us now. Thanks for the time, Marvin. I hope you're well. I'm well and glad to be with you. So we certainly know the cost. We've been hearing about that all week, uh, of what it costs to keep these borders closed, or specifically this one being it as large as it is. Uh, now that it is moving again, uh, is this over? Is it done with? Or is this a concern that Americans will still have? I'm talking about their Buy American policy. Uh, one Michigan official, I believe, said, well, this is all the reason to bring stuff back into Michigan and out of Ontario. Will this hurt us long term? Well, I'm going to say no, assuming this is the end of it and we can get back to normal. We all tend to have very short memories, and uh, what we consider to be normal operations go by quickly. Just to remind everybody what we're talking about, uh, in their Build Back Better plan that Joe Biden put forward, he wanted to uh, give Americans some incentives to buy American vehicles, and in particular electric vehicles, which he's heralding as the future, but they could only get that incentive if the vehicle was assembled in, in the United States. Now, we have a very integrated uh, automobile industry between Canada and the United States, and so we quickly went down to Washington and said, wait a minute, hold on here. You know, uh, uh, what, what about Canada here? Why, what if the vehicles were assembled in Windsor, or what if they were assembled in Oshawa or Oakville? Come on, let that be the same thing. So we've actually been negotiating with the Biden government for the better part of four months, ever since the Build Back Better plan was put forward, the argument being, look, it's an integrated thing, and we're your buddy, we're your ally. Sure, I understand why you don't want to give dollars to support the Japanese car industry or the Korean car industry or the European car industry, but hey, come on here. And everything seemed to be making some progress on this until last week when the Ambassador Bridge shut down. And not only, in a sense, did it shut down, but as the flow of goods was interrupted, we began to see it have an immediate, an absolutely immediate impact in the car industry. There were car plants in the United States that had to lay off American workers because they couldn't assemble the plants excuse me, assemble the cars while they're waiting for parts from Canadian plants. And so this has given certain people a little more ammunition to say, no, don't don't uh, change the rules. Let's put all of this back in the United States. We don't really care about Canada and its auto industry. Of course, you know, we've we've quickly tried to, to say, wait a minute, this is an aberration. Normally the border flows quite smoothly. Normally this isn't a problem. Uh, and for the, for that to be true, we've got to get back to normal operations and then not have it interrupted again. And these nice people who helped shut down the Ambassador Bridge, have they gone away? Is this gone for good? Or will it come back next week or the weekend after? The more times we shut it down, the less likely we are to make that argument that says, hey, we're all one big happy family. Uh, are the supply chains just too interwoven? And you've you've explained many times that parts go back and forth several times before yep. they even end up on a car uh, across the border. Are these supply chains just simply too interwoven now to make any sort of argument for, you know, all right, that's it, rip it in half, and one on one side, one on the other? Well, I would like to say yes. 
uh, to that. And, and certainly in terms of the internal combustion engine, uh, those supply chains have now been set in cement and they work very, very well for those kind of vehicles. Now, an electric vehicle, an all-electric, not a hybrid, mm. but an all-electric vehicle is a different beastie. And they yeah. need different components and different parts. It, it's not. It's really not the same at all. It may look the same on the outside, but inside it looks different. So as this new era dawns, and remember, all the major car companies are saying they want electric vehicles by 2030. So over the next seven, eight years, we'll see new supply chains being built and new suppliers being sought. We don't need that part anymore, but we need this part over here. And so what we were hoping in Canada is to continue to position us as one of those uh, suppliers of choice in that industry. Um, I still think that's quite likely. And again, this is an aberration. I can't remember the last time the Ambassador Bridge was shut down and shut down for any great length of time. So I, you know, I think this will fall on deaf ears, but it's not as certain as if we were going back making an internal combustion car. Boy, that's a very valid uh, point, Marvin, that this industry is in the midst of a monumental change yeah. anyway. That's difficult to do in times when, you know, it's a gradual, there's no global pandemic. But boy, when you get something like this, that speeds all of this up. We could be looking at something completely different 10, 15 years from now. Ab absolutely. And, and so, I mean, that's a time of, uh, of opportunity. If you're somebody who's been shut out of that industry or you make yeah. things and never had a chance to get in, here's a great opportunity for you to make your case. If you're somebody who's in the industry, you don't want to lose those things. You've got to change. You've got to morph and make it go. And, and the only thing I'm going to say, and I don't want to take a side on this really one way or the other, but those nice protesters who were trying to make their point may have inadvertently done much more damage than they thought and, and probably even intended. They just really wanted to make a statement for Ottawa and for Queen's Park. You know, heck, make these mandates go away, which they were going to go anyway. Today, mm -hmm. Doug Ford has said that in a couple of weeks, many of the mandates in Ontario go away. And tomorrow, I think we're going to hear from the health minister that says many of the flight mandates are going to go away in a couple of weeks. It was going to happen anyway. Did you need to do this kind of damage as well? And so, uh, obviously, the sooner we can get back to normal at the borders, the better. Marvin Ryder, professor at Groot School of Business, McMaster University, on uh, the border closures and, uh, closures and what it means moving forward. Good news, the Ambassador Bridge now wide open. Marvin, thank you for the time. Be well. I will. Thank you. So uh, the big news uh, earlier today, uh, the Premier of Ontario uh, announcing that we'll move into Phase 2 one week earlier, February 17th. Also, as of March, fir uh, March 1st, uh, the vaccine passport vaccine passport system will no longer be mandatory. It's up to you, uh, businesses, if they want to use it. As uh, the rest of the world and the provinces uh, slowly start to announce plans opening up, something that the Prime Minister uh, has yet to do, but today he did uh, sort of split a, a, a news conference with Ukraine and the War Med and the sorry Emergency Act, uh, saying that uh, this afternoon, earlier on, about 4:30, that he would, uh, in fact, uh, uh, set in motion the emergency uh, emergency act. First time it's been used, it replaces the old War uh, Emergency War Act. This is what the Prime Minister had to say earlier on. After discussing with cabinet and caucus, after consultation with premiers from all provinces and territories, after speaking with opposition leaders, the federal government has invoked the Emergencies Act to supplement provincial and territorial capacity to address the blockades 
and occupations. I want to be very clear. The scope of these measures will be time-limited, geographically targeted, as well as reasonable and proportionate to the threats they are meant to address. The Emergencies Act will be used to strengthen and support law enforcement agencies at all levels across the country. This is about keeping Canadians safe, protecting people's jobs, and restoring confidence in our institutions. So there you have it. That's the Prime Minister, a clip from uh, earlier on uh, this afternoon, uh, declaring that the Emergency Act has been uh, invoked. Basically, that means um, higher fines, imprisonment, more power for for police officials uh, and to act on infrastructure like border crossings, airports. Uh, it just gives them uh, uh, more power to uh, to to remove people uh, and enforce the laws, not calling in uh, the military or suspending of rights, saying that these will be very much targeted approaches, uh, which really only affect those areas uh, and won't last forever. Kind of like they're talking about mandates. Uh, so uh, and then went on and gave the everyone's tired speech and what have you. Uh, but really didn't talk a lot about what would happen moving forward. So now we've done this. Now what happens? Now what? what's the plan? And uh, not a lot of, of, of chatter about that. But again, uses the word support a lot. You know, we're here to support you. We've got your back. We're here to support the police. We're here to support Ottawa. We're here to support uh, the mayor. And I don't think people are looking for support. They're looking for leadership. They're looking for someone to grab the bull by the horns here and take charge of the situation, which, let's be honest, the prime minister has blown off for weeks now. And now all of a sudden it's it's percolated to what it is now, and it's it's a raging barn fire. And and what do you do to to move this off? So um, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens moving forward. Uh, freezing of accounts, uh, protecting infrastructure, uh, and what this all means uh, moving forward. And again, the prime minister used the uh, the infamous phrase that we've heard uh, along with pivot and all the other great phrases of the pandemic. Uh, it's just another tool in the toolbox. Well, it appears we've got a lot of tools, but nobody really knows which one to use. You know, they're, they're looking for a socket wrench and they really need a screwdriver. So I think we've got enough tools. Um, and now it's time to pick up the tools and you put them in your hand and uh, you get under the hood and you start doing something. And, and again, uh, lots of chatter today. And my goodness, they're still going on and rotating everybody from Bill Blair to Christia Freeland uh, and so on and so forth. But no real information of what's going to happen in Ottawa moving forward, uh, like has happened at the Ambassador Bridge. Bing, bang, bong, gone. And, uh, and things are back to normal. However, in Ottawa, uh, obviously the situation is has been allowed to become a lot more complicated uh, than what it is now. So uh, we'll have to watch, wait, and listen, as we have been for the last couple of weeks. Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer. He'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. It'll be interesting to see if... um, if uh, if playing Barry Manilow is in any way any part of the uh, Emergency Act, which was uh, just declared, just invoked uh, a little while ago when the news conference started with the Prime Minister at about uh, 4.30 this afternoon. 
they're still rotating the politicians around, uh, and, you know, it's most have dozed off by this point. Um, but anyway, at the end of the day, the Emergency Act has been uh, invoked. It means uh, more response, more responsibility, uh, and more power for law enforcement, border crossings, infrastructure like airports and such, uh, allows them to uh, increase fines, imprisonment as well, uh, stressing that this is going to be targeted on certain areas and um, won't last for long. you got to wonder, by the time they get the trucks cleared out of Ottawa, if all of this will have died down anyway, like not the protest itself, but the restrictions, because, you know, again, restrictions in Ontario were announced after Christmas that they, you know, the plan for coming out of all of this and lifting of the protocol. Uh, so by the time they end up getting everything cleared in Ottawa, it'll probably be irrelevant anyway. Uh, let's bring in Henry Jasek, professor of political science, McMaster University, to talk about today's developments. Henry, as always, thank you so much for the time. Hope you're well. Oh, I am. Glad to be with you, Scott. So your thoughts on the Emergency Act and, and what this means. We, we certainly heard of, uh, you know, what it does as far as powers. We don't really know what's going to happen moving forward or what this means for Ottawa. But your thoughts on where we are? Well, I, I assume that, that this means that we're going to get a bunch of RCMP officers coming to Ottawa. And, of course, they'll be, have, the, have the authority to, uh, you know, enforce civ- uh, municipal and Ontario laws uh, to do this and... Uh, and and really help them out. So I I think this is just paving the way for that. So before too long, we should probably see them. And I would think probably the first place they're going to go after is that the base they have next to the baseball stadium in Ottawa, which is uh, hmm. you know sort of has the food that you know has the food, the saunas, and the and the uh, and the uh, fuel for 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 them. And so this that'll it'll be it'll be interesting when they go there. But I think this is setting it up for that. Uh, are you surprised that we need to get to an emergencies act to be able to do this? Many said it was just work that could be done anyway. Uh, what does ha- adding the emergency act do? Well, it gives it gives uh, the uh, RCMP, which is a federal police force, yeah, provincial the right, authority, the yeah. right to act as if they were OPP and, right. and enforce those. So they can enforce provincial laws. Normally, the RCMP right. could only. You know, normally uh, would only have the right to enforce uh, federal laws, except in some some provinces. Of course, mm-hmm. they they are so police short traditionally that they have the RCMP in there, and they give them special uh, special rights to do that. Oftentimes, and you have that in the West quite a bit. Uh, but anyways, yeah. So that's what it does, and it and I think there's some other stuff in there too as well, in in, in terms of what they can do. But it. It basically means that you know you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna be you're gonna see the police doing their business. So, um, first time this has been done in history. How significant is this event? Is this uh, declaration? Well, I think what it has it has to send a signal, mm-hmm. and, and and to people is that in fact the government has essentially and the police and the gov- and the government basically are doing their job. They're capable. They have the capability to do their job this is very important because the longer this went on people would start to say hey people are breaking the law and nobody does anything yeah and if i did it i would be in a lot of trouble you know and uh you know as one person said you know there were some young kids in the summertime who who on behind the parliament buildings or in that area and they set up a little ice I, you know, I um, iced tea stand in the middle, lemonade stand in the middle of the summer, and they got run off the property. Five year olds or six year olds, you know, and so you know, so clearly, you know, people are saying this is really outrageous, you know, 
that there was no enforcement. And then we were going three weeks of that in Ottawa, and then we're having, you know, the, what, what happened on the Ambassador Bridge was, you know, did so much harm, economic harm to our, our, our to people and to our employers and to, our, you know, our relations with the U.S. It was just, you know, we should, people were, you know, 60 to 70 percent of the people in the in the country were saying, do we have a government or what's going on here? Uh, well, on that note, I'll ask you, has uh, has the prime minister shown enough leadership on this? And, you know, I was I was listening to him today to the news conference. Uh, and, you know, we're hearing the, the same typical statements, more tools in the toolbox. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, you know, it's like, my God, I think we've got so many tools here. We don't know which one to use. <laughs> yeah. uh, it appears there's tools all over the floor. Uh, and, and, you know, just typical things that we, we normally hear. And to me, he says the word support an awful lot. Like, we're here to support you. We've got your backs. We're here to support the problem, the provinces. I don't think people want support. I think people want leadership here. They want some Someone that looks like they are in control as opposed to we're getting more of these guys so they can help and we're getting more of those so they can help. Has the prime minister showed leadership on this? Well, it, it, it's 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 a long time coming. I think we, you know, we say this this should have happened earlier. Uh, he should he should have essentially seen that this is where it was going. He and, he and his ministers and, uh, you know, he should should have acted earlier. And, and the longer you take to act, the more these people who are doing these protests, be, you know, they dig in. And uh, and they keep saying, we're not going away, and we're just digging in. And so it just gets harder and harder. And I think most people see that. If you let people yeah. do this, then you, generally you're just going to have more and more lawlessness. I mean, it's just going to break down because people see it. They're not being enforcing the law there. Well, maybe they won't enforce the law here. It's, uh, you know, that, 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 that was the big danger of him waiting. I, I think part of it is that he also, you know, he's misread, or people around him misread what happened yeah. to his father with the Quebec crisis. And they said, well, after the Quebec crisis, when his father, like, you know, if we had Pierre here, those, those people would be gone already. But anyways, what his father, you know, you know came and basically said, I'm, I'm getting rid of these people. We're having the, and he called in the troops. Uh, and and then he had an, uh, an election in '72, and he was reduced to a, a small minority. And everybody said, "Oh, that was because of what he did with the Quebec crisis and everything." But in, but they're misreading it because there was a small what there was was a small um, economic recession. And mm. when you asked people wh- why they voted, you know why people who had voted for him in '68 didn't vote for him in in '72. Basically, they for different an reasons, yeah. Response. It had nothing yeah. to do. I mean, Pierre was yeah. very popular because of what he did, you know, in Quebec. Henry Jasek, professor of political science, McMaster University. We continue to watch. Henry, we'll chat again. Take care. Be well. Okay, this still keep going. Okay, very good, Scott. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Man, we had this guy on on uh, Friday, and he was red hot, uh, including talking about the prime minister's father and what he would be doing in his grave right now uh ha- if he was aware of, of what his son is up to uh so there's lots to talk about uh including the emergency act including the price at the pumps which we all saw this weekend go through the stratosphere uh as predicted i might add uh by dan mctagg and uh canadians for affordable energy he is with us now dan thank you for the time i hope you're well Yes, I am. It might be uh, might be Valentine's Day, but oh boy, 
I don't, I'm not feeling the love here, Scott. We're getting the bill before we're getting the uh, the flowers, that's for sure. Uh, so God. let me ask you first, because you're a former Liberal MP, and, and you were very passionate about the direction the party has taken now as opposed to the days when you were there. Um, but, but your thoughts on where we are today with the Emergency Act and obviously trying to end the protests in Ottawa. Wow. Look, uh, the protest uh, has taken off, uh, in, you know, in a, in, a, in a very different way than I think many had imagined. I, I think it's fair to say that it has uh, certainly the one in Ottawa has left uh, the downtown part pretty much uh, unusable. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it is important to recognize that these are freedoms that people have as, as distasteful as they are. Uh, we can label it any way we want. Uh, these are not, from what I gather, terrorists they have not engaged in acts of violence they've made things extraordinarily inconvenient for the town yeah. uh, but that's not the first and it's not the last time i'm just wondering i mean the i heard the prime minister <laughs> sort of twist around as to how limited this is going to be and then pass it off to his justice minister i'm not sure how this is going to turn up i just sense that uh you know if he had not taken the position of uh, being intransigent vilifying weaponizing uh, vaccines and politicizing this event before it began, I think the outcome would have been very different. Uh, and I think this is a moment where I think we're starting to see the wheels fall off uh, the and the, or if you will, the bloom fall off those who've supported this prime minister for so long. It seems as if he's in, in through this pandemic, he's offered support, but he's managed to stay back from the controversy. He's managed to push this off to the Ottawa mayor, to the Ottawa police department, to uh, council, uh, and then, then push it off to the provinces. All of a sudden it was Doug Ford's problem. And, and, you know, and again, you're a former politician, but I've heard him use a lot of key words tools in the toolbox this was another oh, tool God. in the toolbox today yes, my god there's so many tools on the floor we don't know what the hell one to use here tool of the um, day so um you know and, and and he uses words like we're here to support you we've got your back we're going to support i don't think people want support at this point i think they want leadership they want someone to take charge and give them the feeling that something's really going to happen the country is broken, and he's played a very important part in breaking it. Uh, I would expect that this is really on him. Uh, when these kind of events happen, a crisis takes place, strong leaders try to find compromise. They try to find consensus. And if they can't find that, at least they try to do that. If they can't find that, then you know you leave that to public opinion. But he's taken the position right from the get-go that this is unlawful, this is wrong. He's labeled them. He's demonized them. He's vilified. I, I, look from the beginning it didn't matter what this was he just didn't like it because for the first time unlike the, you know his own backbenchers challenging his authority you now had open society mm -hmm. taking to the streets to challenge him and this is not about uh you know vaccine mandates or gas prices or things like that this is really about people being absolutely discontent with the direction of this country and in particular it's horrid leadership. And I think that's what comes out of this, no matter what, I think is a consensus that Canadians are going to uh, deep six this prime minister uh, sooner the better for the country, for the sake of its unity and for the sake of its uh, political uh, cohesion.
And Dan, as you see, not only other provinces, but uh, other governments around the world move forward with some sort of plan uh, to open up. It seems by the time we get trucks removed from Ottawa, this will all have fallen by the wayside anyway. Exactly. Hey, look, this is, uh, you know, much of this will be a thing in the past, but I think it's a lesson learned. Uh, if we do come back, and I think there will be, and I hate to say it, I'm no expert, but if we go back into another lockdown or another period of time where there's another wave, what are we going to do? I think it's been the point has been made. If nothing else, the presence of these folks on the hill and elsewhere has made it abundantly clear that Canadians are not going to roll over and die. They've had this for two years. They are fed up. And if anybody wants to uh, impose some kind of authoritarian dictate, um, you know, as opposed to living through this uh, this particular disease, uh, they should think again. By the way, Scott, this does speak to much wider issues of governments making decisions uh, uh, via diktat, whether that's, uh, you know, uh, clamping down on the Internet, uh, censorship on the Internet, whether that's their uh, their climate, uh, you know, gambit of uh, shutting down everything, shutting down fossil fuels. I think this government has lost in a very real way the moral right to govern. And even its own backbenchers recognize that. Uh, we saw this weekend record high prices. Uh, your thoughts? I mean, you predicted this, uh, you know, and, and rightly chastised as last Friday. So uh, how far can they go? What are we going to see here? Well, you're going to get a two cent increase on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So, you know, dollar fifty nine nine. It was dollar sixty point nine. A lot of stations here uh, in Hamilton, Toronto, uh, GTHA. It, it dropped a penny uh, yesterday. I think they were just sort of a little schemish about what had happened, but uh, it's going to surge back from one fifty nine nine all the way to one sixty one nine. I think it's one sixty five by next weekend. Uh, but of course, I have to also be mindful now that uh, what got us to ninety dollar a barrel. Uh, has to do with fundamentals. As I mentioned last week, uh, you have, uh, you know, shut down uh, and prevented capital from getting in to help uh, producers produce oil uh, to replace what we're using today. Demand is surging. This week, however, it is all about Russia and it's all about its intentions to uh, whether or not it will engage in a war uh, in that in Eastern Europe. One way or another, uh, this is going to be a momentous couple of days and uh, should there be an invasion and I, God willing there isn't, but if there is, uh, you know, sky's the limit in terms of energy prices, I would see oil going to $120 a barrel, another $25 from where it is now that would bring uh, prices here right across the GTA, a lot closer to the 190 range, perhaps mm. even $2 a liter. So let's hope that doesn't happen. If it does pass and things can work out well, I still think we're looking at, to maintain these kind of prices for the next several months. Greg is on the line. Greg, what are your thoughts? Yeah, hi, Scott. Well, what a day, what a day. Uh, yeah, um, I'm shocked that they're going this far with the uh, Emergencies Measure Act. Oh, man, and I listened to the three criteria why they wanted to invoke this, and it, it just doesn't meet that in my, in my view. And i got to tell you, as a Canadian today, I'm confirmed right now that we are currently have the first Canadian dictatorship in my lifetime in this country ever, in the existence of this country. What I've been seeing going on, um, the good news is the Canadians are going to be strong, and we're still going to protest, and we're still going to put Mr. Trudeau out of business. This is a large movement, larger than they think it is. So what do you think government should be doing instead of uh, issuing the Emergency Act? Listening. 
listening uh, to the science the updated science you know that's one thing i think is hilarious in all of this greg is that as we're slowly seeing the world open up i mean you know the doctors are saying we don't need vaccine passports anymore by the time they get everything unloaded and moved out of ottawa this will not even matter because half of these things will expire they will have moved on no i agree with you and that's the whole thing about this and for them to say today mr ford today to say that this wasn't a result of this gathering of protesters they're lying through their teeth that's I don't see. I, I don't agree with you there at all, no, Greg. Because right. this was announced. This was announced after Christmas, so we already knew that we were starting to open up. The right after Christmas, they announced the timeline, which started January thirty first, and then February twenty first, and then March fourteenth. Uh, they've certainly bumped that up a week, but they've yeah, well, also got. They've also got. You've also had people like Dr. Tam, Dr. Bonnie Henry from NASI and from British Columbia, as well as Dr. Kieran Moore, two weeks ago two weeks ago saying it's time to stop this and it's time to start coming up with a plan to move out so i i think that the timing is is relatively the same but no i mean if, if the prime minister dropped his border trucker mandate thing i think you'd, I, I think you could say that but no all of these plans were in in place uh long before the protest started uh i believe that anyway greg i'm gonna let you go thanks for the call much appreciated 905-645-3221 start 9900 on your cell marks on the line Mark, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with the guest that you had earlier there, Scott. This is all on the Prime Minister. Um, you know, to invoke this Emergency Response Act uh, just for the fact that his pride or perception of these protesters wouldn't allow him to, you know, to, to meet with them and, and talk about what the, what the real problem was. And now we're going for this huge government overreach, which is going to cost the taxpayers a fortune again, um, thanks to the Liberal government, when... The smallest of all these problems and mandates was probably lifting the uh, the one on the truckers, right? And then problem solved. So I think it's a big mistake for him not to uh, not to have met with any of the protest leaders. Yeah, and I think that's why you're hearing officials, medical officials, talking about vaccine passports. The other thing too is, you know, early on in this, we were trying to get everybody vaccinated. Now we got like tons of people vaccinated. We should be very proud of everybody that's vaccinated. And you know, uh, again, I can see these mandates and what have you all falling by the wayside uh, very shortly, just simply because. It's been two years, and we're working our way out of a global pandemic, which is slowly becoming an endemic because of everything that we've been doing. So, you know, it's it's it seems that this argument or this protest or uh, the prime minister's inability to solve it, as you've said, or meet with the people. I mean, like a year ago, maybe, but I mean, we're at the end of this now. So, why why he just won't move forward and provide some sort of unity? in in some sort of olive branch to to move on is beyond me. But, you know, it is what it is at this point. Anyway, uh, Mark, thanks uh, so much for the call. Much appreciated. Be well. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer, to have the last word. I am Steve. I just live in Hamilton, that's all. <laughs> um, I'd like to know where this phrase has come from. Trudeau, I noticed, uses it a lot. He says, let me be clear. Why does it take three weeks for him to find clarity? 
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.